Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to today's topic. I've gotten a lot of messages about stress and struggle and navigating hard times. And I'm sure some of it is because, especially on my Instagram stories, I'm not sure if you're following me there, you can find me at Elizabeth Benton, but I share very candidly about how I coach myself or lead myself, however you want to think about it, through this time of deep grief. And I know not everybody is grieving right now, and I'm very, very grateful for that, but the strategies are the same, whether it is grief or it is stress or it's you know a tense time at work or a difficult time at home. And because I've been very open about how I'm navigating those very hard moments as I record this. It has been just about three months um, since our daughter died suddenly and unexpectedly. And and that threw us into the most challenging time of life. And so many people have said, you know, what are you finding helpful? What are you doing? Could you do a podcast episode on this? So the answer is yes. And as I said, I know that most people, thank God, are not dealing with grief from the loss of a child. But a lot of people are going through a stressful time right now. Maybe it's just because your kids have been home for six months, you know, or four months, whatever it's been. Feels like six years. Maybe it's because things are tough in your relationship, or you don't like your job, or you're stressed about a loved one. I want to share some of the strategies that have been most powerful for me in this darkest season of my life. And I, you know, I don't sugarcoat it. I, I know that I am very blessed in so many ways. I know that, you know, I have, I have a family, I have my health, I have Chris, I have work that means so much to me. And also, I'm very much not okay in this season And I don't expect myself to be okay after losing my daughter. But I have been working very hard to take care of myself. And I have learned a tremendous amount about surviving. And I won't call it thriving. I won't be that cheery. And maybe I'll look back on it and see it differently in a year or two years or heck, maybe even a couple of months. But what I want to do is walk through seven strategies for stress and struggle. And they can be big stressors. They can be little stressors. It can be, like I said, just the fact that the kids are driving you crazy. Any type of stress or struggle, I think you will find at least one of these seven strategies to be helpful. The first one 
is to ground yourself in something. Have at least one non-negotiable. Have one thing that you commit to that you kind of can lean on as fixed every day. Because what often happens in times of stress, in times of struggle, is that it feels like chaos. And I know for me, grief has felt very much like chaos, especially grief in quarantine, grief without supportive family. It feels chaotic. Every day is different, especially in this season. Like, what's open? What's not open? What can the kids do? What can they not do? What can we do? What can we not do? Can we go somewhere? Can we not? There is a lot of chaos. So having at least one thing that is fixed in your day, that is standard in your day. For me, that thing was my four-mile walk along the canal, right? I live on Cape Cod. There's Cape Cod Canal. It's a few minutes away from the house. And very soon after Dagny died, I would just go and I would walk. And it honestly... I walked in the rain. I walked in the freezing weather. I've now walked in the scorching sun. It doesn't matter. I just do it. I don't do it because I want to do it. I'll be honest. I don't even do it because it feels good. I have yet, even though we're three months since Dagny died, I have yet to take that walk and not cry. I cry every single time and that's okay. But it is a fixed thing in a chaotic time. So maybe for you, it has nothing to do with movement, right? I don't consider my walk exercise per se, but it is definitely movement. Maybe that has nothing to do with it for you. But your breakfast is the same every day. No matter what, you do eggs and avocado every single morning. No matter what. I just made that up. It can be anything. Over time, I added in a couple other elements that were fixed because they were like, I don't even want to call them guideposts in my day, but they were things that were predictable. It was just a tiny bit of stability, not even happy stability. I'm not saying like take a 60 second dance break every single day, though you can. That sounds like fun. Something that is stable that you can rely on no matter what, no matter where you are. Even when we we went away for a few days um, shortly after Dagny's funeral, of course, couldn't really travel many places, but we have a family home up in Maine. And even though I wasn't walking on the canal, I could walk. I could get outside and I could walk and it didn't matter the weather. That's what I did. Have something that is fixed and non-negotiable. If you're worried, well, sometimes I can't have time to go for a four-mile walk. That's okay. Like I said, have your breakfast be the same. Have your lunch be the same. Have your wake-up time be the same if that is an option for you. Have a pattern where you you sit and you write for 10 minutes. Have something, at least one thing that is fixed that you can ground yourself in. And the point of this thing is not so that you feel put together. I don't feel put together ever, certainly not recently. It is to anchor yourself to something that you can rely on. And I know for me with my walks, I'm not doing it to like get myself together at all. I'm giving myself room. I'm giving myself permission. I'm structuring what I can when it feels like so much can't be structured. And I've heard this from so many people recently that so much feels outside of our control. 
we kicked off our summer 12 weeks to transformation recently. And in the first weekly coaching call, somebody was saying like, um, oh no, it wasn't in the coaching call. It was in our discussion boards. And they were saying, you know, now there's so many things that are changing and we have to wear masks and all of this is different. My kids asking about masks and having their temperature taken before they go into a restaurant. Like, how do we feel okay with all of this? And, and my sense is we don't have to feel okay with it. We don't have to feel like we've got it under control. We just have to move through it with that openness with that willingness for things to feel difficult, right? Sometimes we just want to fix it. Sometimes we just want to know what we can do to put all the pieces back where they're supposed to go. But in times of stress and times of struggle, I think it's even more powerful to be okay not being okay. And that doesn't mean we throw pity parties and we tell ourselves we'll never be okay and everything is ruined. But being open to the fact that this is a season of struggle and there will always be seasons of struggle. And I know I hope for myself that there's never a season of struggle like this season of struggle, but I know that's part of being human is that there are seasons of stress and there are seasons of struggle. And instead of trying to fix it, and make it right and wipe it away, just anchor yourself in something that gives you a little bit of structure, that gives you a little bit of stability, and there's a peace with saying, I'm in a tough season. I'm in a tough season, but seasons change. And I've been in great seasons before, and I'll be in great seasons again. But I think that grounding yourself in something, having at least one non-negotiable, whether it's the time you wake up or it's what you have for breakfast or it's a daily walk regardless of the weather, have something that is fixed. The second strategy is to simplify. What can go? Even if it is the smallest thing. I know for me, I got off slack. If you don't know what Slack is, it's like a communication channel on the internet for teams where you can like message each other back and forth and it felt like too much stimulation and I, I at first felt like I had to be on there. My team is on there. Like they have to be able to communicate with me. I have to see what's going on and then I realized, no, we can have communication go through one person and that person was Susie and if Susie needs me, then Susie can get in touch with me via email or the phone, but I don't need that other thing to check. Now, obviously, that example is a luxury because I own my business, and if I worked for somebody else, I wouldn't necessarily be able to be like, yeah, you know what, I'm not doing that thing. But there are other ways that you can simplify. One thing that I simplified was watching less TV. I'll tell you why. I am the kind of person who can have an emotional reaction to a television show. So if it's like scary, I feel scared. If it's, um, you know, this, this awful thing that happens, I might feel sad. If it's drama, I might feel tense. And I noticed that I was having like an emotional reaction to television shows. I always have. That's not anything new. But in a time of stress or a time of struggle, it was a way that I could simplify the inputs. Because... I was going through, still going through, I have moments where I'm seriously angry at different people in my life. 
I have moments where I'm totally overwhelmed. I have moments where I'm just devastated beyond belief. But what was happening when I would watch TV is that then I would have a moment where I was like anxious about this thing that was happening or I was scared because of this thing that was happening. And it was more stimulus than I needed in a time of stress or struggle. Now, that doesn't mean I don't watch TV. I do. But I'll put on a comedy and more often than not, I'll just keep the TV off and I'll listen to music or I'll read a book and I'm, I'm trying to have more inputs that are positive or neutral, right? Positive could be humor, positive could be inspiring or uplifting, but that is a way to simplify. Maybe for you, simplifying means getting off Facebook, because on Facebook, you have a reaction like I was describing with the TV, where you see something that annoys you, and you see something that hurts your feelings, and you see something that makes you mad, and you see something that makes you sad. In times of stress and struggle, we are going to have our own ebbs and flows of emotion, and it can be helpful to not expose yourself to everybody else's. And I haven't been afraid, you know, so many people, especially when it comes to like grief and losing somebody, they want to share their story. I know it's not the same as losing a child, but I've had four miscarriages and this, that, and the other thing. And I've had to say, you know what? I'm too close to my own loss to have the emotional bandwidth to, to hold space for yours. Like, can we maybe sideline this conversation for like some point down the road? I'm not in a place where I can do that. And I don't think that that's rude. I don't think that that's dismissive. I think that that is taking care of myself. So maybe for you, you look at where are there, where am I exposing myself to or tolerating all of these other emotional inputs that are optional? Facebook, Instagram, television, you name it, the news, anything like that. What can you simplify? But there are also other things that you can simplify. Can you take some things off of your calendar? Can you remove some priorities that were totally optional? Just this morning, it's funny, I, I, uh, I woke up this morning and I worked for a few hours and then I was planning to go to the gym at 9 a.m., which I did. But I don't usually go to the gym at 9 a.m. because I kind of consider that the middle of my work day because uh, I'm an early bird. And I was driving home from the gym a few minutes after 10 and I was like, crap, I've lost all of this time and I have all these things that I want to get done and I've got a meeting at 12 and I've got a meeting at 2 and 3 and 4. How am I going to get everything done? And I literally pulled out my phone and I wrote myself a note. I'll tell you exactly what it said. I don't remember off the top of my head, but this was literally just like an hour ago. I said to myself, I don't have to rush. I set these deadlines slow down. How many times do we rush for self-imposed deadlines? And if you're in a period of stress or you're in a period of struggle, whether it's just for a day or if it's for a season, dial things back. I have given myself more margin in my calendar. I've pushed some priorities further off, but what can you simplify? This next one is a little bit, well, I'll say for me, this next one was a little bit more challenging. But it's also the been, been the most rewarding one and probably the most important one. And that is choose to have great expectations. Even in stress, even in struggle, even in loss, choose to have great expectations. 
Now, this does not mean dismissing or diminishing the thing that is hard right now. Using myself as an example here, I choose to have great expectations for what is ahead for my life. I choose that. What is ahead is so much greater than everything that is behind me, than everything that is now. The best is truly yet to come. I know that what is ahead for me will be infinitely happier than where we are right now. And that doesn't mean that I'm trying to diminish or dismiss the grief and the pain and the loss associated with losing my daughter. These two things go hand in hand. I can have great expectations for what is ahead and so can you. And I can also be very connected to how hard and how awful and how sometimes seemingly unbearable things are right now. Choose to have great expectations. Use any period of stress or struggle to ask yourself, what is it that I really want for my life? What do I want to create? What do I not want? What do I want to eliminate from my life? What do I want to bring into my life? What needs to change here? This has been a mantra of mine. Choose to have great expectations. And I'll, I'll tell you, it came from had to have been only maybe a week or so after Dagny died. I was listening to a Christian meditation and um, one of the things that it said was we wait with great expectation for what is ahead. And it just, that line, it, it went through me like a lightning bolt and it was the first time that I felt any sliver of hope in the moment since Dagny had died, and I hang on to that every day. I choose to live with great expectation, but the other piece of that is specificity. What is it that you want? What is it that you are expecting? Because we have a part in creating it, and we can create it in times of stress, and we can create it in times of struggle. We can start now. I don't have to wait to come out of the fog of grief, to start to create what I want for my life. Use the downtime, the hard times, the struggle times to ask yourself and really get clear on what is it that I want? What is it that I want? Choose to have great expectations Get clear on what that means for you, what you are believing for what is ahead, what you are desiring for what is ahead, and then what can you do about it? What needs to change? How can you bring that a little bit closer to reality today? I think great expectations is paramount, not only for a happy life and for achievement, but most especially for any time of stress or struggle. Choose to have great expectations. The fourth thing that has been a a just immeasurably powerful strategy for this time of life for me is a combination of meditation, deep breathing, and praying. And it really doesn't matter. I am somebody who believes in God. If you're not, that's okay because you can still meditate. You can still practice deep breathing and they can still be powerful tools for you. 
uh, it's funny when I think about deep breathing, I've always been a sire. Like my mom, it used to annoy her. She thought that it was like huffing and puffing or, you know, sometimes somebody like lets out a deep sigh and you say, what's wrong? That was my childhood. I have always been, we could just be riding in the car and I would just kind of go, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Like, just, just a sigh. And in these couple of months since Dagny died, I I have heard a lot about and, and read a little bit about um, just how powerful your breath is. And for me, if I take a long, slow inhale and then I exhale slowly and audibly, it helps me personally to do it audibly. So there's a difference between like a silent exhale and kind of what we would consider a sigh or just, I'll do it right now so you get the picture of what I'm explaining. Like deep inhale. And let all the air out. And I'll tell you that for me, by the second or the third exhale, I start to physically feel a release of tension in my body. And oftentimes, that's what I need most. So I do that when I'm driving. I do it when I'm crying. I do it when I feel overwhelmed. That simple exercise of just a few long, slow, deep inhales and a few slow, audible exhales is powerful. And there's a lot of science around it. Science that proves that we lower cortisol as we do that. Cortisol, one of our stress hormones, that we increase production of our feel-good neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin when we do that. It has been huge for me. Meditation and prayer as well. And personally, I practice transcendental meditation or TM, and I've done a podcast episode on that. If you go to primalpotential.com and you search transcendental meditation, it'll come right up if you're curious about that. Um, but the benefits of meditation are indisputable. You just cannot argue with the science that has been done on the benefits of, of meditation. I mentioned cortisol, that stress hormone. Very little is more immediately effective at lowering cortisol, that stress hormone, than meditation. And oftentimes, we can get so caught up in our thoughts, especially in a period of stress or struggle, that we work ourselves up and it's the situation, but what makes it worse are our uncontrolled thoughts about the situation. And meditation is a really powerful way to calm your mind. It doesn't matter if you're doing a five-minute guided meditation on Headspace, which is an app, or Calm, which is another app, or you're doing a 20-minute meditation with Transcendental Meditation. It doesn't matter. Just do something. And I'll be very real with you. I personally feel that 10 slow, deep breaths is a meditation. It is a breathing meditation. Sometimes if I don't want to stop and do a more formal meditation, I take 30 seconds to just listen to what I hear. And I consider that a mini meditation. So if I were to do that right now, just kind of sit, whether for 30 seconds or three minutes, it really doesn't matter. There's no time that is too short. Doing something is always better than doing nothing. I would just listen to the trucks 
as they're, I can hear them in the distance. I can hear the air conditioner humming. I can hear the chickens out back really faintly. And little things like that that slow down and put us in touch either with our physical bodies or with our environments. Sometimes I'll meditate just by focusing on a particular area of my body and what it feels like. So for example, I might sit here and just focus on the tension that I feel in the back of my shoulders or in my traps. And as I breathe, I will literally imagine my shoulders kind of falling or drifting apart or loosening. I will see a particular point of tension and I will literally imagine that it is evaporating or that it's disintegrating. And you can do that for 15 seconds and it makes an impact. So don't think that because you are the kind of person whose mind races if you try to meditate for five minutes that you can't meditate. It's simply not true. Take 10 slow, deep breaths. Spend one minute focusing on an area of tension in your body. That's something I do anytime I get a headache. I'll close my eyes and I will go in my imagination to the place where that headache is, whether it's in the back of my head or in the front by my eyes or in my forehead. And I will just, as I breathe, I will imagine blood flowing to that area or I will imagine oxygen going to that area. I will imagine a tense spot disintegrating. All of those are forms of meditation. And then I'll say this about, about prayer. And as I said, it's 100% fine if you are not someone who believes in God or creator or source or whatever you think of it as because the principles still apply. But for me, praying is less about me talking, right? And it's more about me listening. For a long time, I think especially as a kid, I went to Catholic school and prayer was like reciting something. So our father, Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, you know, you name it. Um, Or thanking God for things or asking for things, you know, uh, pray for my uncle, pray for my aunt, pray for my cousins and my grandparents. At this phase in my life, prayer is a lot more about listening. And I think that's why it's been so helpful in my own time of struggle. Because outside of prayer time or meditation time, my mind is going a million miles a minute. What about this? Why did this happen? What if this? What if that? And my my mind has been on overdrive since Dagny died. But the reason that I started going on these walks is because after Dagny died, I felt like God wasn't close by. I never blamed God for her death. And I'm grateful for that because I because I could see how that would be an easy place to go with something like that. But I didn't feel like God was close by. I didn't feel like I was hearing from God. And so I would pray and say, just speak to me in a way that I can understand. Because the way that I view God is as a loving father who wants to be in relationship with me. And so I just very clearly said, like, I believe that you want to be close to me and you want to be in a relationship with me. And right now, as I'm hurting, 
I need you to communicate with me in a way that I can understand. Please communicate with me in a way that I can understand. And I very clearly had this, this knowing, it wasn't an audible voice or anything, but it was a knowing walk with me. And that's what I heard and that's what I did and that's really what started my, my daily walks on the canal regardless of the weather. And so as I go on those walks, it's not to beg for a different life. It's not to, it's not for anything other than to listen. And there's something very healing. There's something very de-stressing about listening, especially in a world where everybody's talking and everybody has something to say. Choose to listen. And even if you're not listening to God, Listen to the universe. Listen to your own insight, but not by talking yourself through it, by being quiet and listening. And there is so much magic that comes in the stillness and in the quiet. And I don't know about you, but I think we need a lot more of that. I think we need a lot more of that. Okay, two more. The second to last one is movement. I have always loved this quote by Tim Ferriss. He says, if you can't get out of your head, get into your body. If you can't get out of your head, get into your body. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of moments where I feel like I can't get out of my head. Especially in these months since Dagny died, I replay every minute of everything from the second I found out I was pregnant to the first ultrasound to every doctor's appointment to the questions to going into the hospital, you know, when I fell in December to uh, going into labor, my water breaking, every conversation, every second, seeing her face for the first time, the drive home from the hospital, you get the point. And I have had a really hard time getting out of my head and replaying every moment of her life, the moments before she died, constantly. And I said to Chris a hundred times, probably more than that, I don't know how to get out of my head. I don't know how to stop thinking about this. And it it felt like torture. And it's not the first time, right? I've had situations at work that I feel like I replay over and over and over and I can't make it stop. Or just the other day, some woman sent me an email that was just really unkind and I was thinking about it over and over and over and over. And um, then I remembered what Tim Ferriss said, if you can't get out of your head, get into your body. And I really think that for me, um, working out has been therapy. But to be clear, I never want to do it. I'm never in the mood. I never wake up going like, I can't wait to get to the gym. I never, as a workout is announced, am excited about it. I'm usually feeling quite the opposite of that. But I understand that it is an opportunity to get out of my head. When I am breathing hard, when it hurts, when I'm sucking wind, when my muscles are fatigued, I am so in my body that I have to be out of my head. And I want to say this to you that don't wait. You're not going to feel like working out, especially in a time of like deep stress and deep struggle. And I'm saying do it anyway. Hire a trainer, join a gym, team up with a friend, or do a challenge totally by yourself. 100 burpees for time or, you know, go run a mile. Whatever it is for you that is physically challenging, do that thing. 
it is essential that we get out of our heads for a little bit. And I think it's normal. We're, we're thinking machines. That's how we stay alive. It's, it's a survival mechanism. But it can be debilitating if you don't give yourself a break for it from it. And I'm the first person to say, I often don't know how to stop that loop. Like I can redirect my thoughts and be like, what am I going to make for dinner? And then I'm back to thinking about, you know, the five minutes before we lost Agni. And that is why I work out five or six days a week. Because, and that's on top of my walk, which I consider more movement than exercise. To get out of my head, I get into my body. And that is available for all of you, no matter your fitness level, no matter what equipment you have, we can all get out of our heads by getting into our bodies. And I think it's so important. Lastly, as a strategy for stress, as a strategy for struggle, and this falls into the same category as, as, as exercise, because for a lot of people, it's the thing you want to do least, but it really matters tremendously, and that is fuel your body brilliantly. I did an episode probably a couple years ago about how sugar is the ultimate bad mood food, and it is. Sugar hurts our brain, sugar causes inflammation, it brings down our mood, it causes mood instability, all sorts of things like that. And yet so many times we turn to either overeating or more processed foods or just not eating well in general, whether that's not eating enough or anything along those lines, when we're in a period of stress or we're in, in a period of struggle. One of the first changes that I made um, during my pregnancy, I had avoided caffeine. And then after Dagny was born, I couldn't wait to have a cup of coffee. And I was very much on board with like, I'm going to have a cup of coffee every day. No big deal. Even though I was breastfeeding. And, um, after she died, I just said no caffeine because I knew I did not need a stimulant. I knew that a stimulant was the last thing I needed. So I ditched caffeine, but it wasn't just that. It would have been so easy, especially in quarantine, right? With takeout options and all these deals and wanting to support restaurants. I started eating cleaner than probably I ever have in my life. Now, I'm not a purist. I'm not a perfectionist. You know, I had a glass of wine last night and I loved it. I'm looking forward to, there's an ice cream place near me that I've never been to and I've heard amazing things and I'm absolutely going to check it out. But like on the day to day, the consistent thing is eating really clean because it has a massive impact on how your brain works and on, on your emotional stability. Fuel your body well. And a big part of that too can be supplementation, especially if you are in a time of stress or struggle. I have leaned on supplements more since Dagny died than I have at any other time in my life because I know that in an emotionally difficult time, whether it's just a, a stressor in your life or it's an impossible season that you're in, our bodies need support. Our bodies need tools. When cortisol levels are higher, when uh, maybe sleep is impaired, when your body is going through a lot physically or emotionally, we need more support. So I take uh, stress management supplements that include ashwagandha and a few other things. I take more vitamins and minerals, right? More omega-3s, a general multivitamin, all of that kind of stuff because it matters. All our bodies have are the things that we give it through what we eat and what we drink. 
and and how we stress and if we sleep enough. That's all the raw materials our body ever gets come from what we give it. So it matters so much. It matters so much. And if you have questions about the nutrition side of things, I want to encourage you to check out my nutrition fundamentals course. If you have questions about the supplement side of things, feel free to DM me on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. I'm happy to, to share with you specifically what I've been taking that I find really helpful. I'm an open book, but I want you to hear that these times of stress or struggle, yes, they will be hard. I will be the first one to say that I am, these strategies are not going to make it go away. They're not going to eliminate the pain, but they will help you get through it. And it is a season. And the beautiful thing about seasons is that they change. And I know that there are so many people who are stressed right now or are struggling right now, and I'm one of them. And I just want you to hear me say that I care about what you're going through and I care about helping you through it. And if there's anything I can do to support or encourage you, you just let me know. All right. DM me on Instagram if you've got questions about any of this. We'll we'll dive into it and I'll help in any way that I can. And I hope you make today amazing. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform. Hey, Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh, yeah. I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants.